Warning, the episode you are about to listen to most likely contains graphic language, details of violence and murder, and may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. What's up, everybody? Happy Thursday. How's it going? Welcome to Murder with My Mother, where I talk murder with my mother. We're just like a bit blah today, so (laughs) super fun to listen to, (laughs) listen to, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, the weather is like gloomy and shitty and it's the 2nd of November and what day is it? It's the 3rd, actually. (laughs) Okay, yeah, the time change got me. The time change. Although we're saying it's Thursday when we say happy Thursday, everybody. Yeah, sorry. It's actually Tuesday. Tuesday that we record. So happy Thursday, Tuesday. And I've been out in the rain all day at work. Yeah, Uh, you guys don't know this, but my mom drives public transit. So she had a great day. (laughs) She had a great day when. It's been a draining day for sure. Christina. Anyway, so today we're going to give you guys uh, the conclusion of Clifford Olson's crime spree and how he eventually got caught and then what happened to him after that. The last four victims, which we have four left to talk about, happened pretty quickly after the police kind of knew, they didn't know how many people he had killed, but they knew that they suspected him big time for at least two of them. And they were going to keep him under surveillance, but they didn't have the money or the time, apparently, to do so. And they went to go try to find him, and his family was like, oh, yeah, they're on vacation <laughs> yeah. down in uh, I mean, his California. Baby. And his new wife he just married while yeah. he was in the midst of killing all these children. Yeah, they're uh, they're actually at... Um, Knott's Berry Farm very having far. the time of their lives. Yeah. yeah, awesome. I don't know who brings a newborn to Knott's Berry Farm. You can't go on any rides. What a buzzkill. Uh, I don't even know who goes to Knott's Berry Farm. <laughs> Actually, I You've did. been to Knott's Berry Farm multiple times. Anyway, so Clifford came home on July 21st from his fun family vacation. And July 23rd, Raymond King Jr., who was 15 years old, uh, was living in New Westminster and went down to what my mom says they used to call the manpower office. I didn't know what this was, but she's like, no, it's like a, I'm thinking it's like a career fair, but like. Well, manpower, I think is what they used to just call unemployment. Like the place, you know, when you go now to the unemployment office, I don't know and you don't know, but there's a place at the unemployment office where jobs are listed on the wall. Okay. So that was called the manpower office back in those days. And this was a youth. Employment one, okay. yeah. And so he went to go down there to try to find a job because there wasn't like Craigslist or all that. You yeah, to there was go no to cell phones, physical. even nothing. Yeah, so he went down on his bike, and his bike was found at the office, but he was not found. Yeah, he so was he, never seen again. He went missing that day. So that was July twenty third, and like two days before that, uh, Mr. Olson had returned back from his trip. So coincidence? Uh-huh. Well, he was probably just Jones into. Yeah, imagine waiting that long. And he was going like pretty Well, he made up for it because on the 25th, Judy Kozma's body was found coincidentally. That is a coincidence. Hmm. Her body was found. And that exact same day, there was an 18-year-old Swiss... (laughs) 
Ballin. No, there was a Swiss. A Swiss exchange student that was here on a tour from Switzerland with a group. Uh, The rest of her group went on a day cruise that day and she decided she was going to go visit her cousin in Burnaby. And she took the bus down there. Yeah, she she kind of like planned her own way, found her way to her cousin's. And you'd think that if your cousin was coming all the way from another country, you'd be home. But her cousin, I guess, had something happen last minute or she didn't know. Or she just didn't be home. Yeah. And she wasn't home. So Sigrun. That kind of shit happened in the 80s. Yeah. (laughs) Nobody really kept to a very good schedule. Perfect. And we all ran away. Yeah. But yeah. Sure, Mugga loved that last episode. Shout out to (laughs) Mugga, our number one fan. Hey, Mugga. Mom. (laughs) Sigrun. Oh, and Grandpa. I'm sure Grandpa loved that too. Yes, I'm sure. So Sigrun was last seen at a bus stop. Yeah, so that was the same day that Judy Cosma's body was found. Yes. So two days after that, uh, Terry Lynn Carson left her house at 8.30 in the morning and she, like a lot of the other teens that summer, were out looking for a job. So she left the house early to get a head start and try to find a job, but her mother didn't see her again after that. So they reported her missing when she didn't come home. Later that evening. And on the 29th, the police had been on and off surveilling Clifford Olson, but like I said, they didn't have the resources. They didn't really have a very good plan. They They didn't really have a fucking clue because it took them so long to put these together. Like this, They didn't put them together. No, I know. But I mean, when they finally do, and and like I said last time, there's so many kids going missing and... This is not something that's just a common occurrence. So on the 29th, they had followed him around. He was basically weaving in and out of traffic. And they were pretty sure that he had seen them, that they were following him. And it they came, just, boom, Yeah, it they off. said, you know what? This is not working. It's too hard. We have to regroup and come up with like a concrete plan. So they called off the surveillance. The 30th though, so that was the 29th that they called it off, but uh, Detective Carr, who was one of the investigators, had an idea that if they met with Olsen and they recorded a conversation of them essentially bribing him, offering him money for information, that they would kind of use this ruse to get him to say something. And they also knew his ego would lead him to say something that would, he can't just be quiet. He he just could not say, like, I deny everything and be quiet. He was, his ego was way too big for that. So on the 30th, they met with him at like a diner or something. White spot. Uh, white spot. He pulled up and they have him saying like, a lot of, lot of homicides around here, huh? <laughs> like, like, and he said to them, yeah, well, if I'm going to give you any information, I want $3,000 a month and I have information. I could get you information on these kids that are going missing. And it's so crazy because 1981, $3,000 a month was like probably like $8,000 a month is now. Like that yeah. was a lot, a lot, a lot of money. Well, we hadn't mentioned it but he had previously had experience being an informant for the police so that's actually I think how he got out of jail the last last time he got out he got out like I think it was two months before he committed his first murder yeah he he got out in September and he killed Christine in November yeah and so he had gotten out early because he had provided information for the person that was in his cell with him had told him a bunch of stuff I think and so it was a child killer 
and he had told him exactly where he had put all of his bodies and how he killed the kids and Olsen was just going to the police and repeating it so that's yeah. crazy that they wouldn't have linked that if they knew already that Olsen was the one that was giving information about the crimes that he had you know like that they yeah. wouldn't see that that was happening that these kids were going missing and then look and see that he just gave all this information on all these in-depth details of murder and murder of kids and wouldn't see that yeah like that maybe he, would be a tie like yeah. he's being a copycat well i think there was just a lot that was missed with this whole thing and i think it was partially due to the fact that we didn't have the same technology but also that it happened in a couple different jurisdictions and no one had their shit together and yeah. So the day that they offered him the money, he left and no one followed him. He left the restaurant. Yeah, willy-nilly, like yeah. free from no tail, like no tail, no yeah. one tailing him, no one surveilling him. Apparently, the police decided to think this was just coincidental, but that same day, Louise Chartrand left for her shift. Uh, she lived was from Maple Ridge, so yeah. she would hitchhike. She was known to hitchhike a lot. So she Join made the club, it. Louise. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, you and every other person, like I said, in the 80s, 90s, and 70s, for sure. So she hitchhiked safely and made it to her destination. Mission. Uh, yeah. So she made it there. And then she was walking. She went to go get cigarettes. So the man that dropped her off and said, yeah, I dropped her off here. She went and she walked to go get cigarettes. And that night, uh, co-workers had to call her family and, and say she she never showed up for her 8 o'clock shift. Yeah, so she didn't show up to work. And right away, the police had, this time, finally, mm -hmm. uh, knew that it was foul play and pretty much figured on who had caused it. So that was unfortunate because those four that we just kind of rattled off really quickly happened all within a matter of... I think it's like five days. Yeah, it was five days and they well, could have all... So Raymond King Jr. was on seven July 23rd. Days, yeah, and then uh, she was found, or sorry, she went missing on yeah, that the 30th. So, and that, the saddest part about all of that is that he was a person of interest before that. Even those four people went missing or were murdered or, you know, like that could have all been very much prevented and it was not. So at this time, they had only found four of the bodies. So four yeah. bodies and they didn't even link all of the four together at first. They thought it was different the people. The only two they had linked together were um i think they had linked ada and darren okay I think. yeah and they were just found by people walking their dogs as we cased last time they weren't actually looking for bodies they just happened to be in the same area yeah that they were abducting their from, dog and they knew that clifford's father was a caretaker in that same area so and then he'd also stopped the girl taking the girl to the arcade after he tried to sexually assault her yes yeah, so the wheels him. finally started to start to turn 11 children later yeah yeah uh pisses me off but whatever so what happened was they finally after Luis went missing like you said they actually started to suspect that okay this guy's i think we think that this guy is responsible for more than we initially thought so they so will actually yeah. surveil him. So maybe we should actually start to follow him because I'm sorry. I don't. I know that they say they don't have the manpower, they don't have the money. Sit one fucking person in a car and follow him around for their whole shift and do the same thing in the next shift and the next shift and the next shift. You, you're going to pay someone to write tickets. You may as well pay yeah. someone to follow someone who you think is mutilating and killing and, and ending children's lives for no reason, for like pleasure and fun. 
So finally decided to come around and start surveilling him. And between August 6th and August 12th, they saw him do a couple B&Es. Yeah, he was a multi multifunctional criminal. Yeah, so he basically went in his tool belt of life and would kind of use whatever suited him in that moment. And because they were obviously looking at him for something way bigger than B&Es, like break and entry, they were looking at him for multiple murders and sexual assaults and like not even murders like well they thought he, they only kind of had really linked at this point three or four together they didn't yeah. realize how many murders he no but in comparison to a break breaking yeah. and entering they kind of left that alone and they they wanted to catch him doing something much more serious so he took the ferry to nanaimo and drove to uculet which is by port alberni he picked up two girls along the way somewhere hitchhiking probably yeah and the police were following him actually this time. So they saw him in the car with two young girls. Probably panicked and they're in danger and now obviously putting all the pieces together. Yeah. Slowly and slowly. So they pulled him over. I think they were actually stopped for a pee break or something and uh, the police approached them and took him out of the car, arrested him on the B&Es, which was good that they watched him do that because they had something to hold him on. And released the girls. That was those two girls. Oh, God. The luckiest day of their lives. They were like probably minutes away from being murdered. Even though we know he didn't like to do two at once, remember? He would be like, oh, I don't have enough work for you. I'd have to drop you off and come back and get you. Although, like, I mean, the frenzy of his killing that's like... He was ramping it up. So he was leveling up. So he probably would have just killed. He was probably... That's what I I think. I mean, my personal opinion is he probably was going to kill both of them. Yeah. And so... a test for himself. Yeah, but... So what happened is while they were searching his car they found a green address book that belonged to Judy Cosma. So on August 25th, they had enough evidence, which I guess would have just been that book because they say later that they didn't have any evidence. Yeah, they charged him with Judy's murder. And then when they were interrogating him, um, I think it was kind of just a bluff really because the police say they didn't have one shred of evidence. Yeah, so they were probably just trying to use everything that they could that they could to make him believe that they had more evidence. Well, they and they also knew that he was a talker. So yeah. he would eventually just like, he would brag about shit. His would, personality yeah. it was very like out there. Yeah, totally. So while they were talking to him and they were going on about Judy's murder, he suggested, well... Why don't I make a deal with you guys? It's a cash for bodies deal. So I'll give you for $10,000 for 10 bodies. So $100,000. And tell you what, I'll throw the 11th one in as a freebie. So generous. Yeah. So the police agreed to it. It had to be even approved by the Minister of Justice. Who I guess also agreed to it, which I don't know how I feel about that because he called his wife and like right away and was like, honey, you're going to be rich. Like right away. Like I think, I think the one thing, like I thought the same thing. The one thing that kind of made me understand it a little bit more is if they didn't have any evidence, there would have been a risk that he could have walked with without doing that. I mean, the whole province, actually the whole country and the whole continent that made big news on the news. No one had ever paid money for people to come and like, basically he told the stories of each person that he killed 
and he took them in person in a disguise wearing a police hat and no handcuffs to the location of each body and each body that was found that he promised he was paid his wife Joan was paid ten thousand dollars for each body that he led them to and then they gave him thirty thousand for the four bodies that were already found but he just gave information yes so in total it was a hundred thousand Clifford because of his deal he obviously started to give information on each one of the children that like we said the ones that had been found already whose bodies had been found probably by someone walking their dog or some other unfortunate circumstance and the other ones where the families had absolutely no idea what had happened to their the police had no idea no no one knew so Clifford was the only one that really had this information and he was the only one that could provide you know, the location and the closure and everything that the families obviously were wanting. So he had taken Christine Weller from the animal hospital. He said that he he saw her on her bike and he was parked in the parking lot of the animal hospital and he called her over and said, do you want a job? Yeah, well, that's, I think that's what he used for pretty much every single person. Yeah, it was basically always the same. Teenagers want to make money. They want to have money to buy a car or buy smokes or buy, you know, whatever, clothes. Yeah. Or... He said that he had killed Christine. Uh, well, he admitted to it because they'd already found her. She was stabbed and strangled. Then Colleen, he led them to her at 144th Street and 26th Avenue in Surrey. She was killed with multiple hammer blows to the occipital region, and she was killed with a head injury. And Darren, they had already found his body as well in DeRoche, but he also had extensive damage to his occipital region and extensive trauma to his head from hammer blows as well. So the same thing with Sandra, and he led them to her body in the Chilliwack Lake area, and her cause of death was... Like I said, also a head injury, head injury, an extensive extensive head injury from uh, blows from a hammer. Ada Court, he led them to her, and there was four, actually, four victims that were all in the same area of Weaver Lake. And the crazy thing about that, she was also killed uh, by, by a hammer. But the weird thing about that is the killer that he had informed on in jail, that's where he liked to take all of his victims in the past, also was out by Weaver Lake. And he had talked about that probably with like lust in his voice to Clifford because, you know, you're boasting about your crimes. He probably made it seem, well, clearly he made it seem like something that Clifford really wanted to emulate and and do and follow in his footsteps because he he did exactly these. Well, that's such a remote area too. Yeah, it clearly sparked something in Clifford's head to be like, wow, good idea. I'm never, I'm never going camping. No, I've camped there before and I'm now I'm not. When you hear about everything that's happened, even Chilliwack Lake too, I've been up there a lot. Even Newton, I don't even want to go there. I don't want to go to Wally. I don't want to go like. I was just there today. Yeah. Um, Simon, the little guy that disappeared from Surrey, the nine-year-old boy on his bike, he was found in a remote area off River Road in Richmond, and he had been strangled. It's strange to me because usually a killer, I mean, killers are always doing different crazy things, but usually they stick to one MO. They usually have one method of killing one thing that they're more comfortable with. So it strikes me as weird that 
it's strange because it's very different that he either did, you know, he killed with like a the camera blows hammering exactly like that's so aggressive. And then something like they're both very personal, but something like strangling someone, you're taking your life away with their hand, with your hands, mm-hmm. you're you're draining life from their body with your own hands. So it's very personal. Whereas a hammer, yeah, I know that that's obviously going to be same thing, but you know, you're using a tool, so it's kind of not as it's almost like detached. When you're strangling someone? He definitely, I mean, the way the way that he mixed it up, too, like, with the sex of the... Oh, even the victims. That's yeah. what I mean. Like, the sexes of the victims, the ages. Yeah, all, they were all, all young, but it is all over the place. And But if that almost makes me feel like he did it. I mean, I'm not saying he did them for shock value, but to, to know that he just sat there and listened to someone tell about his victims and where he did that and all this, it's like he built this up in his head that he was going to do like you know like almost like he was going to do these yeah like he wanted to do them so he could brag so judy was killed by multiple stab wounds so there you go different again and she was also found out by weaver lake raymond king jr um he was also found out by weaver lake but he again this was probably i think this one, I mean, I'm not saying one is worse than the other because they're all terrible. No, but, but he was like experimenting. He was starting or to experiment because he drove a large spike, like a large nail, into Raymond's head, threw him down an embankment, and then threw rocks on top of him while he was unconscious. So that's what killed him. Yeah, because his cause of death wasn't the spike. It was actually it had injury from the boulders that Clifford had thrown down on top of him after he threw him down there. So. Sigrin, the exchange student, she was found near Simon um, on the remote area of River Road. They're only 400 meters apart from each other. And in one of the research papers that I read, it said that he had broken off a screwdriver into her head and that still didn't kill her. So he was hitting her with a hammer and then he um, put her in a ditch and a ditch filled with water and covered her with stuff. But her cause of death was a massive head injury. It came out later that as he was raping Sigrin, he actually was doing it on River Road, which is really close to some train tracks. And so was it people that worked on the train or was it passengers on the train? Uh, Well, I've heard two different things. I heard one of them was the guy, like basically the conductor or the guy that's standing on the front to make sure like the watchman or whatever saw some people a woman was kneeling and there was a man standing um i guess he was taking off his clothes she was already naked and he thought he had just witnessed a couple having consensual sex but it turned out later when it all came out freaky side yeah he actually saw yeah Yeah. he, he witnessed the murder so Obviously, those people didn't know what they had seen, so that made a lot more sense when once her body was found in that area and people had heard that that's yeah. what was really going on. I mean, that must have been horrible. Terry Lynn, her body was found. He brought them to Chilliwack, and her cause of death was strangulation. Clifford led the detectives to his last victim, who was Louise Chartrand, and he actually led them all the way up to Whistler, so a gravel pit in Whistler, and he said that the night that he had taken Louise, he stopped in Squamish. He stopped with her in the car at the police station in Squamish to pick up his confiscated weapon, which they refused to give him because the officer wasn't on duty at the time. And then he carried on to Whistler 
where he killed Louise in a gravel pit uh, by multiple hammer blows to the head and then he buried her in a shallow grave. There's something that happens when you choose a life where something could happen to you, where, you know, you get involved with drugs or gangs or something like that. And even still, murder is always senseless. But when you're taking kids off the street and picking them at random and for your own essential pleasure and your sick sexual, you're killing these kids and you're doing it in all these experimental different what way can I be more fucked up? Like, really, you're you're just trying to be more evil and evil and evil. And almost it looks, seems like he, obviously, he couldn't control himself. He was doing it every, it was almost every second day, like, at the end, he was murdering. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean. Well, and the fact that he didn't have a job at the time and was just driving around all day in different rental cars over and over. His wife, Joan, said she had been previously married and she had like a $46,000 divorce settlement. And basically that's what he was using to fund his murder spree was just driving around and around and around with different rental cars. Each time he killed someone for thousands, I think they said he'd put like a thousand kilometers on his car, on whatever car he used a day. Well, one of his nicknames is like the rent a car killer. Did you know I haven't heard that one, but yeah. that's, that's very apt actually. Yeah. And so we haven't really touched much on Clifford. Obviously, if you're listening and you listen to the first episode, you've gathered that he's a huge evil piece of shit. The thing is, anyone that knew him always knew him as a bad seed. He basically was born born bad. Yeah. And he was always in fights. He was always getting Bully. beat up. He was bullying. He, he even, I know that he got beat up so many times, he took up boxing. I read so that he, his father did an interview years later that, he took up boxing so that he could defend himself so he could go back and repay all the kids that had beat him up and I think he was only getting beat up because he was a melty little shithead and he was a loner and he kind of kept to himself he was annoying by all accounts anyone that knew him he said he was just like he didn't shut up and he was super super annoying yeah and know it all I know he was 15 when he I think he failed for the first time and then had to redo that grade a bunch of times I mean if you're just constantly like the bad seed and you're distracted with doing all these bad things. You're not going to be focusing on your studies. You're not going to really get very far. And he also, uh, when he was little, was sexually molested by an uncle. So I guess being a bad seed and then you add that kind of delinquency in also, you've been molested. That kind of was your introduction to... Well, uh, when, sexual crime. Well, and there's studies that show when something like that happens to somebody when they're young and they experience that, tra- you know, that trauma, it actually creates different pathways in their brain. Yeah. For for behavior, for ways that they, they deal with things, yeah. for ways that they process, and so take a kid that always kind of had problems with that anyway, and add, you know, sprinkle some of that in there, yeah. and. Yeah, that's never going to make for a good ending to a story. But then he went to jail for the first time when he was 17 years old for, for, for breaking and entering. Like we like we had mentioned last time, he had a very vast list of... Everything. Every yeah. single crime you can imagine. Clifford Olsen committed. So he says himself that he, in the past, um, he started victimizing other kids when he was around 10 years old he would take kids into the bushes and sexually touch them stuff like that he also 
was reported to have raped in a fellow inmate that was much younger than him with a bunch of other guys. He says that he's had sex with very, very, very many children in when he was in and out of jail, so for years and years. And he said the only reason he started killing kids was because he didn't want to get caught. So whether or not he was just talking shit at that point, who knows? Maybe just don't molest kids yeah. and then you won't get caught for anything. Yeah. Or don't break and enter. Don't don't drink and drive. Don't do. I all mean, those drinking things. and driving back in those days didn't even really <laughs> get you much trouble. No, it didn't. But you know, when you're doing yeah. things that put other people's lives in risk, obviously the how many lives it's taken since the 80s, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, that's it, why it's so serious exactly. now. Yeah, because it, back then, I'm sure there wasn't a whole. I'm sure shit happened, but there wasn't a yeah. whole lot of data to use. To com- you know, yeah, compound no to computers, say, so. yeah, okay, wow, maybe we should make this illegal. <laughs> I mean, it didn't take them very long to make cell phones illegal while you talk on the, you know, while you to talk on the phone and drive. That didn't take very long, but the alcohol and cars they were around for a long time before those laws came out. So. Yeah. In January of 1982, Clifford pled guilty, and he was sentenced that same month. The judge was quoted saying. My considered opinion is that you should never be granted parole for the remainder of your days. It would be foolhardy to let you at large. Well, at least someone was fucking awake. Yeah, at least. Because that the fact that it took them so long to catch him is so nerve-wracking and so makes me so, so, so mad. So he, because we used to have something in Canada called the faint hope clause, which was stupid. And so many people used it as a loophole to get out of jail earlier. The most serial, the most uh... (laughs) serial killer friendly (laughs) thing. Yeah, it was. (laughs) But it was the most serious of crimes. People that were convicted to over 25 years for first degree murder were able to apply for an early parole after 15 years under the faint hope clause. The faint hope that they had changed. But the fact that it was even called a faint hope like yeah. wouldn't you think that that is like a fucking bad idea well i don't know like why really it was even invented but it anyway put the families through torture because yeah because every they, they would have to come up for parole over and over yeah. and over and clifford being the fuckhead that he was and like the little nitpicking bastard well he would he would send the families letters and say hey if you want more information yeah here's what i here's part of what i did to your family member but if you send me a picture of yourself um, having sex with an animal, I'll give you more information. Yeah, because someone's going to quickly just snap that photo yeah. to get information from some, your lying psycho ass. Some of the families actually complied with some of the things. Like, obviously not the outlandish have sex with an animal things. But some of the families were so desperate to get more information that they complied with some of his requests. And he would immediately send them back. A letter saying, ha ha, tricked you. Because he was a piece of shit. Yeah, he was very, very... He was a psychopath, and on the psychopathy score, he scored 38 out of 40 for being a psychopath. The most out of anyone I've ever... Read about? Yeah, yeah I was about. reading... I know, I noticed that too. And so, after he pled guilty to the 11 counts of murder, he was given all concurrent life sentences, and he was going to serve those uh, sentences in one of our super maximum security. It's the special handling unit in the Saint-Anne-de-Plaines, Quebec, which I think a lot of our big-time dangerous offenders are housed in there. 
Well, especially the ones that have anything to do with uh, child murder or child rape, because obviously inmates can't be in a general population because the other inmates will take care of them for everyone. That people that do anything to children are not going to last very long in the gen pop. Yeah. I know we've talked about that uh, prison. Yeah, prison code. Prison code. So while he was in prison, he said a lot of weird shit too. Because he, he was the kind of guy, like, he couldn't just sit there and be quiet. He needed people to be paying yeah. attention to him. And he was a fame seeker. Yeah, and it was mostly for, like, outlandish, like, super crazy shit that nobody really believed. I mean, okay, if you're going to come up and say, okay, I murdered 11 kids and that was all true and found to be true, like, you probably would take him seriously for a little bit at first, but he's in there for years. And like I said, he's just going to keep coming at his you with star, weird stories. His star starts to fade and then he has to make more shit up. So he, didn't you say that he actually, some kids got to talk to him in jail? <laughs> yeah, I, I was looking, as I was researching this, I was, there was some weird video on YouTube and you can tell it's, I don't know if these kids were from Canada, but they were from somewhere. They sounded like they almost had an American accent, but the video on YouTube, it's, they called Clifford Olsen and they're having this conversation with him and they're trying to get him to say stuff, but it's not hard. Like he's talking about it. And at one point they're saying to him, you know, Clifford, we know you didn't do it. We believe you, Clifford. And he's like, what, what are you guys talking about? Like, I, for sure I did it. I don't know what you guys are talking about. I admitted all of this. Like, yeah. You guys, and what brought, are you guys smoking? I'm pretty sure he said. Yeah. Brought the police to all the bodies. Yeah. <laughs> But there was some other controversy uh, in March of 2010 because the media disclosed that Olson was receiving his federal government benefits from Canada while he was in prison. And he was getting almost, I think, like set 1200 bucks a month. And I mean, obviously, he was contributing to his pension. But I, I think there's that controversy where, OK, he has killed 11 children. He's and he's in jail. in jail. He shouldn't be getting his old age pension. You really don't need to get um, your pension, like that much money every month. It was it was actually his, uh, it wasn't his old age pension. He was going to receive that on top of the money that he was getting. Yeah, the guaranteed income supplement. Yeah, so he was um, he was going to be getting both soon, but the, they put a kibosh on that once it came out that he was even getting that. And then the government looked into uh, abolishing that until people got out of jail. Yeah, and then I know that in September of 2011, it came out that Olsen had terminal cancer and that he had been transferred to one of the hospitals in Laval. And Quebec? Yes, and I know that I read a lot of different interviews with all the families that were willing to talk about it, the victims' families, and I know I read an interview with Judy Cosma's brother, and he had said that once he heard the news that he was dying and he was terminal, that he was, it brought him almost like a peace. Yeah, I, I read a lot and the parents were crying in happiness, basically, because you have to think when the, when the faint hope clause came, they had to see him and hear about him every two years for quite a while. Well, I didn't tell you this yet, but one of my coworkers, his mom was on the parole board. What? Yeah, for Clifford Olson's case and said that he was, the, she did it all the time, that was her job, but he would come up and she said, she would say, you know, he's never going to get out. No. But the fact that he puts these families through it, it's like that last control and that yeah. torture that he is subjecting these families to because now he's like totally this little raisin, right? He's yeah. like this crazy little raisin that lives in 
in somewhere and, and and like i had said i didn't even know the notoriety the infam you know the, how infamous he was i didn't know until i researched it so i can i can take a guess and say that not a lot of people know who he is in the newer generations because yeah. his name has kind of been forgotten for good reason but at the same time he thrived on people knowing who he was so he held on to that until the end of September in 2011. So he died on September 30th, and he was 71 at the time of his death. Ugh, too. He died old. too young. Honestly, he died too yeah. young. He should have. I I hope because it's, it just came out in the beginning of September in 2011 that he had the cancer, and he died at the end of the month. So I'm hoping that it was a really aggressive form that really like tortured him on the way out. Honestly, I don't wish that on anybody, but this guy was the most like the biggest evil POS. devil piece of shit ever on the planet. So this case, we know that where we live, the people that do remember this happening and the people that were affected, like I've had some people reach out to me and say, you know, hey, I went to school with, with this victim and, you know, yeah. I remember how this affected my community and I remember how this affected kids they went to school with. Working on this case has been very, very draining. Like you don't even notice you're going through the the research and looking at all the kids' lives and how what bright little lights they were and then their murders and where their bodies were and on his fucking personality even just like drains the life out of me. But it was definitely very draining and quite depressing just to research it. So I can't imagine living through being a family member of one of the the people and it happening so quickly and so close together well and then over and over once you find out and you can put a name to who this evil person is that you find out that he actually is evil and he takes that light and dims it for their own evil sick twisted pleasure, pleasure yeah. so loves to torture people because most people when they get caught for something like this it's like oh my god i would have never expected Wow, you know, he, he like there's very quiet. If you see videos of Jeffrey Dahmer in court, he literally kept his head down most of the time. People like that, like, but well, he, they all killed for different reasons, exactly. I guess. But I mean, Clifford killed for very selfish, selfish. Everything about it was selfish, yeah. And I mean, every killer, every killer is selfish. selfish, but then you get to the like I said, the where he had no vic, he had no actual victim type, he had nothing that there was a mold that you had to fit this. And then he was, you know, it was literally circumstantial. If he had in the moment, the ability to do it, he was going to do it. If he could get away with it for that. The only, the only type he really had. And I heard from one of the kids that survived him asking them to get him to get in a car was he always chose the weakest, smallest, youngest looking kid. So he knew like, cause he well, that's a projection, right? Yeah. Because he knew he was weak and and little and he wasn't a very big man. Well, yeah. So if you got like a big kid like Alex in the car, you're going to try to do something. <laughs> My to six gonna, foot five brother. But they're so. going to beat the shit out of you. And <laughs> yeah. And if you stick to just the little ones that you pounder. have more control yeah. over, it would make it a lot smoother, I guess. But that was the case of... Clifford Olson, the beast of BC, which he called himself. Yep. That is a self-proclaimed beast. And usually the names that come out for these guys, they're very fitting. But this one's probably got to be, you hear of a boogeyman, you hear of like the beast's 
hiding and this guy was really hiding in plain sight everybody everyone that knew him and found out after this happened nobody i think was surprised well that's what i was just gonna say he wasn't hiding in plain sight people people were just blind because yeah he literally they could literally find so many kids all over the lower mainland that have been like Oh, yeah, that guy? You mean the guy that drives up and tries to get you to work? In all drive? the different rental cars? Yeah. It was super creepy. Like, everyone knew about him. So, yeah. he was in plain sight, and... The police just didn't... They yeah. had their fucking blind... 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 Cloak. The fuck? Invisibility oh. cloak. Yeah. The, no, they... Like, I don't even... To talk about the police not putting things together, that comes up in cases sometimes, where, again, being, you know, one... A hundred kilometers away from the other. Look it, at the Picton case. Yeah, another big. That, that is another. Yeah. So, I guess what we are trying to say is the police, the Lower right. Mainland, in nineteen eighty one, nineteen eighty, and and like you said, in the Picton case, that's like from that was in like two. I think I think we should just leave that right. Here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have respect for the police, and I do whatever. too. But that's what comes up. It in was this just case. circumstantial at that time, and it was terrible at that time that no one put two and two together. Maybe it was just an age of innocence. I don't really know, but to me, it seems like. A lot of people lost their lives when it could have been prevented, and I wish that it had been prevented. So next week, as we said, um, we are going to now start going to every second week. So it'll be Danika's turn to research an episode for two weeks from now, and I can't wait to see what she has for us. Yes, so that will be the 19th, so we won't be releasing an episode on November 12th, but we will talk to you guys on the 19th. And I will be back to talk murder with my mother. Bye, guys. See you later.